Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Episode number 16 of Tell Me Your Tales and what an episode it is. I'm pretty stoked to bring it to you this week because it's with one of my great friends and um, someone I see a bit of and actually the first world champion that we're going to have on the show and his name is Brett Sands. He's um, based in a Chukamoama, so it's one of my Chukamoama featured interviews this week. But if you're a runner tuning into this, it's definitely worth sticking around and having a listen to Brett's story. Um, as I said, is a world champion, so there's, of course, stacks to get out of that. And um, Brett's also a business owner. He owns his own business, uh, rightly named Brett Sands Water Sports, and is a massive contributor to our community. So pretty much Brett raises around $15,000 each year for a not-for-profit group in Echuca called Community Living and Respite Services and gives them massive awareness about some of the projects they're working on at the moment. Um, Brett's single-handedly the reason that Chukamoama Park Run started. And if you can remember to last week, I featured featured him for a quick little chat about the launch of that park run. Um, and Brett's also heavily involved in the Chukamoama Triathlon Club. He's a massive community man, knows a lot of people, and is always willing to help out. Um, in this chat, we talk about determination. That was a bit of a thread. We talk about pushing yourself in sport and um, probably stepping outside your comfort zone to achieve your goals. We also have some good conversations about uh, setting up your own business and how Brett went about that from teaching people just how to ski to actually making it his full-time job. And um, we have a pretty big conversation about community and the importance of contributing to community. So if if you're into any of those things, I reckon you'll get a bit out of this show. Uh, It goes for a bit longer than some of my other chats, so I appreciate Brett's time. I think it went for about 80 minutes, this one. Um, He joined me on the deck of my house for a cup of peppermint tea. It was a sunny autumn's Thursday. We both had the day off work, which is good. And um, yeah, I'm just really stoked to be able to bring you a pretty genuine conversation again. As always, if you like what you hear, please spread the word. Thanks to uh, Runner From Oz, the iTunes alias, who left me a great review on iTunes, obviously. If you know someone who is into this kind of content, I guess, um, that I'm trying to put together and produce, let them know and show them how to download a podcast. Because I've been really surprised that so many people have absolutely no idea how to download podcasts. It's, um, oh, it's funny, the conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks around what it, a lot of people know what a podcast is, but they just don't know how easy they are to get, especially when you're 
ask them to open their phone and go to the purple logo and just type tell me your tales in and all of a sudden you've got it so yeah if you know someone who's probably into this content but doesn't have a clue how to download podcasts um maybe do them a favor and and show them how to do it um all right here we go this week's show tell me your tales uh 80 minute conversation all about brett sands Brett Sands, welcome to Tell Me Your Tales. Thanks, Brady. Good to be here. You've actually listened to some of the episodes, so it's good to um, it's good to have someone I know pretty well and someone who's seen or kind of listened to the content so far. Yeah, it's pretty good. I've never really been a podcast sort of guy. I don't sort of read or any of that thing a lot, but um, you know, listening to these podcasts with a couple of the characters you you got, especially some of those elite athletes, and you know what I mean. I think Brylai's been my favourite so far. What a what a legend. Elite athletes. I don't think any of them have been world champions yeah. before, but well, um, yeah. yeah, you're you know probably I mean. the most elite athlete. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, it was funny. I remember talking to you probably about a year and a half ago. We were jogging. I remember we were jogging past the harvest, and I told you I had this idea to start up a podcast, and you kind of didn't really know what I was talking about. You're like, oh, I think I've listened to one once when I drove to Melbourne, and yeah. that was about it. So it's been... I guess that kind of journey for me as well to set it up. Like at that stage, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to start it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. We're going to be, it's going to be off the ground next week. But a year later, I finally got it off the ground and you'd finally um, started listening to yeah. them and we're, we're all good. Really enjoying it, mate. Can you um, maybe introduce yourself, mate? I always, I always find it interesting to see how people introduce themselves. Yeah, my name's Brett Sands, born and bred, um, you know, a local Echuca Mama, right, I guess I call myself. But, uh, my parents were born in Echuca just across the border along with myself and two sisters and uh, we migrated to Moma in 1981 which is only only a couple of k's from where we lived and uh, mum and dad uh, brought a property on the river um, in Moama and um, you know sort of away we went and went to school here and all that sort of stuff and you know my life's basically been in a chicken Moama and um, yeah I love it. 1981 Moama would have been different then wouldn't it? Dirt Road going down Marool Lane, if people know the area, past the RSL Club. Um, Dad brought that property and I remember, you know, a couple of Dad's mates saying, what the hell are you doing moving out way out there? You know what I mean? And Dad goes, town's not getting any further away, it's getting closer. So, um, yeah, it was pretty different. I remember used to we used to ride to school and we had the old push bikes with the fixed wheels and the A-pangers on with a few mates at the moment. Basically, just mono your bike down the main street of Echuca during peak hour traffic at 8 o'clock on the way to school. You'd hardly get passed by a car. It was quiet. So you used to ride from out Marool Lane to um, 208? I uh, went to the tech school, which was basically yeah. in the same spot there. So I went to Echuca South when we were up that side of town. Um, and, yeah, I think it must have nearly, when we moved out in 81, must have been close to my first year at the tech, I reckon. Might have been year eight. I can't remember, but yeah, we basically used to ride. There's a, there was a bus, but we just rode. Big ride back in the day, though. Kids on a triathlon trainer already. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, it's funny Especially where. Fix it. Yeah, it's funny how, where it's taken me. But um, wasn't a real bike rider in the day, but it was good fun with the boys. You know, I mean, we used to just basically used to ride. We didn't even use the footbridge sometimes. We just mono our box across. You know, thought we were rebels and mono our box across the across the bridge. But it wasn't. You know, really, it's not like now. It's back. You know, the 
traffic's backed up for a K or two. So there would have been no supermarket in Moama, none of those housing estates. Was the RSL there? When did that get uh, No, RSL was like 92, so 10 years yeah, after right. us. Um, Marul Caravan Park at the end of the road had just started in about 83. I'd say um, Winby might have been sort of late 80s, but, yeah, she was pretty quiet. There was only a few tanks in, a uh, few houses in what they called Tank Town in Maidensmith Drive back then. It was... It was pretty quiet. Just it was basically farms out that side, you know, yeah. like yeah. Golf course out Ridge River. Ridge River was there. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't to be honest, I was pretty young then, but I reckon it probably started about the same time because mum and dad are keen golfers and I remember going to the you know, the Y course on the Compaspi there when I was young. Yeah. And we moved them were eleven, so I'd say if the golf course was there, it wasn't there that long. Yeah. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, right. And what about like the main street and stuff? Like just small. Like, yeah, what was there? couple of milk bars um the bank of new south wales back then it was called was where the thai restaurant is now the big servo at the end of town is that an ampola or caltech stop as a safeway um yeah caltech yep yep that was my dad and granddad's um service station and all that was back in the day was a brick building um glass fronted at the front office oil room and two toilets that was it. No, it. no cover over the bowsers or anything. Used to rip around there. After, couldn't wait to get there with me pop after school and pump some petrol. And yeah, yeah, it was different. Yeah, you know, and so, would. sort of so respectful back then. A couple of the memories I have with me pop was, um, you know, if there was ever a funeral in town, he'd be like, right, throw the oil. You know, we had these, you know, carry in and out oil containers that all the oil went in that sat out in the driveway. Get the oil containers in. Pull the open sign down. Shut all the doors and they used to lock, we used to shut the big, um, you know, high fence there, the wire fence, and um, basically hide in, hide behind the building um, until the funeral procession went part, past and then we'd go back to, uh, back to, back to work again. Yeah, yeah right. it was pretty cool. And of course, like, there'd be no Nicholas Drive, like, no housing estates up there. The population in Moana Mo- Mo- oh. must have been tiny. Yeah, I, I it would have been Ma- just this area here, wouldn't it? Like, maybe, central Moana. Maybe a then. couple of thousand, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know how many there's now, five or six. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know, but it, it was pretty. It was pretty small, you know what I mean. But we didn't sort. I guess we didn't go off beat too much. Um, actually, where you're living here and over the back in Shetland Drive, I remember um, we used to have motorbikes and stuff and pushies, and a family used to live down probably in the middle of Shetland Drive in a farmhouse. We used to ride um, from the water tank there. Yeah. In Moma, and it was basically just like a dirt road down to the farmhouse like <laughs> straight down no Nicholas Drive just boom just cruise straight down there and get on the motorbikes and burn around just burn I, around people's houses yeah, I guess yeah. It, I guess that happens in every community but yeah it has it's definitely changed over the journey without a doubt but I guess you being here through that whole journey and we'll touch on you know where you've been and all those kind of things but seeing that first hand must be yeah. it's a bit surreal now especially when we run around these streets yeah. now when you're thinking I used to ride motorbikes in that whole block of 200 houses it's um yeah but I definitely think about it as we're running you know obviously I've been doing a run, bit of running for a few years now but when I sort of first started doing it and doing a bit with you and I mightn't be saying a lot when we're running because I'm hanging on for dear life sometimes <laughs> with you mate but yeah I'm always thinking about you know it's really weird you sort of you know reminisce I guess mm. a bit nostalgic you know I'm just mm. sort of like oh yeah when I was younger I'd do this and I and I can remember a lot of that stuff just from purely sort of walking and running back through it again mm. yeah you didn't touch on water sports when you introduced yourself, which I reckon is um, uh, sometimes I think people get too caught up on their achievements. Yeah. Like you introduced yourself as a as a person, not some of the things you've achieved, which I think is amazing. Like some, I oh know I've been 
do it. I think my Twitter handle, Instagram kind of bio is always, you know, you're an elite runner or you're a yeah. teacher or whatever, but you stayed away from some of the things you've achieved and just introduced yourself as a person, which is, um, yeah, which probably says a bit about you that you don't get caught up too much in, you know, what you are. It's, it's who you are, I guess. But um, do you want to maybe touch on, so you grew up in Achukamawama. Yeah. And then when did the water sports kind of come into things? Um, it kicked in, um, we were, mum and dad had a boat uh, when we were young and we basically used to go out to um, Wills's Bend, uh, which is, a, you know, about 10Ks out the sort of Swan Hill Road out towards Turumbria. We used to just camp with a heap of locals and stuff like that and I learnt to water ski when I was the age of, at the age of three. My sisters skied at the same time when they were really young and we basically, back in those days when they, they sort of weren't national parks or there was sort of no rules out in the bush out there, mum and dad, we used to basically put the caravan out there, a heap of families in Chukamoema, put the caravan out there in September school holidays and pull it out after Easter. They used to just stay out there. Yeah, right. So we'd go out on, a, the weather was good, you know, in September and October, we'd go out on a Friday night, ski all weekend, we had motorbikes, all that sort of stuff. And then obviously over the Christmas period, you know, we'd literally spend a couple of months out there you know, out in the bush on our bikes, on the motorbikes, out on the river, got to know people from Melbourne, used to ski with them. They had flash of boats and ours because <laughs> they maybe had more money. Theirs were all glittery and you know what I mean? So it was yeah. kind of, yeah. Um, so that's kind of where it all started out there, you know what I mean? And um, now and then I end up back down there actually with the business that we've got now in the boat and, um, you know, get down around there and I'm like, this is where it all sort of started, you know, way out the river there, so... Did you know straight away, like, the first time you got behind the boat, that there was a bit of a passion there or... Yeah, I think yeah, yeah I think so. I, did, I didn't. I, I guess I never at that young age, I never ever thought that I'd be doing it forever. It was just a real good, fun thing to do and had a heap of local mates doing it and blokes from Melbourne and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think it was just a fun thing that we all got to do at a young age and obviously when you do it that young, you sort of, you know, when someone sees you do it when you're 10 years old and you've been doing it since you're three they're like you know this bloke was born to do you yeah. know just stand on water or but still at that point when I was 10 or 11 I still you know what I mean it was like just fun good yeah. good times but that's sometimes a misconception isn't it like people would have seen you at 10 or 11 and think you're a freak but you've really put in six years yeah, that, yeah, like yeah that's it and I just thought just like what I was doing was nothing special I just thought that was what you do when you ski yeah. for six or seven years I suppose and just adding hours like just working on your craft hour yeah. after hour summer after summer that's it out in the caravans out there so then, you know, you kind of got to 12 and 13. Were you a bit of a rebel at school? Yeah, what, yep. Yeah? When you <laughs> yeah. said before how you guys were going down the main street, I just jotted down rebel with a question mark. Yeah, so. um, yeah, like never in trouble with the law or anything, but I guess we're always pushing the boundaries of, um, you know, what you know what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing with bikes and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, probably the first um, three or four years at high, you know, at the tech school, yeah, I reckon I had trouble focusing, eh? Like mm. big time. I, I guess I wouldn't. I was I was fairly smart, mm. um, but used to just lose interest really quickly. And I got sent to the vice principal's office a few times, and I held the timeout record there at the tech school <laughs> for a while. A room, you know, as a teacher, you'd know. I don't no, know whether you're like, bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get thrown in a room, you know, with a teacher, and you've got to be silent for a day or two. And I think I had the record there for a while, but um, but yeah. But once I sort of um, probably hit. 15 or 16 at school last two or three years I yeah switched on and um yeah thought I better better be doing something with myself and at that point in my life I still didn't know that I'd do I was already competing at them but didn't know whether I was gonna you know do 
do, do my craft for the rest of my life, I yeah. suppose. So at that, like, 14, 15, you were pretty, you know, Australian championships, things like that. Like, yeah. you're trying to make international teams and yeah. that'd be a hard thing to juggle when you're you know, 14 or 15, wouldn't it? Yeah, had really supportive parents, obviously, so that was that was really handy. Mum and Dad were into it. So um, I basically learnt to, you know, my the sport I was in was barefoot yeah. water skiing. I learnt to barefoot when I was about 11. Um, and then the thing back then, someone told me about, you got your barefoot badge where you basically had to get someone from the association to sit in the boat while you're barefooted for one minute behind the boat unassisted, and you got this nice shiny badge with a pair of feet on it and a number on it. Um and I've still got that tucked away somewhere, um, and that sort of turned into getting asked along to a couple of training camps and this and that. And within a couple of years, it happened pretty quick. You know, I was um, won my first Australian title at thirteen. The second year I was competing, I was in Dunelequin actually. Um, was that an underage title or underage title? Sub sub junior boys that was called. So you know, sub junior boys. So I competed at the nationals in Queensland when I was twelve, and then Dunelequin thirteen. Then I stepped up a division into junior boys. Um, in 84, got second at the Nationals that year. And we're talking about overall titles here, like a combination of our three events we, we competed in. We had trick, slalom and jump. So second the first year in junior boys. So I was, skiing, I was like 14, skiing against 16, 17-year-olds. I ended up um, second overall that year and then won back-to-back junior titles, um, 15 and 16. But going back to 84, the Nationals in Adelaide, um, where I ended up second, I made my first Australian team. Um, back then it was there was no juniors no junior Aussie team so I actually made I was the youngest person ever to make the open men's elite team 14 for a it wasn't the world but it was a um, Australasian event Australia v New Zealand so um, that was at 14 years old what was that like because you're on the team with like 30 year olds and stuff yeah yeah, was, like, oh, you're, yeah you're yeah. going through puberty and you're yeah, on, on a trip with these grown men. Yeah, and some of at that point, I knew, sort of knew where who the Aussie guys were. You know, I'd been in competition for a year, so I'm going basically. You know, you hear it all the time in sport. I'm like, I'm competing against my idols here. Yeah, you know, the blokes that you know for two or three years I've been a little kid going. But you're still kind of a little kid in a way, or was it yeah. now all of a sudden I'm 14, I'm ready to take you guys on? Um, yeah, I guess. You know, I, I guess I didn't think I was going to do anything special at that event, but I, I knew it was. You know, it was going to be a. You know, a character building event over in New Zealand, and um, it was awesome. And I just basically, yeah, went along for the journey and the ride. And I think Mum might have even been on the Aussie team that year as a she was a like a calculator. You know, they get all the scores out in the boat and um, they throw it into the judges' tower at the end of each you know division scan. And she used to add up all the scores and go through the sheet. So it was kind of cool. You know, like I think the whole family went over to to NZ and yeah, yeah. So you help me out because I don't know much about skiing and stuff. So it's barefoot. Is it how fast you can go from one spot to the other, or it's tricks, or what's yeah, it? yeah. So there's three up? events. Uh, they do have barefoot drags, oh, okay. you know, speed ones, but that was that, that's basically a different craft again. So they have tricks, slalom, and jump. I don't know whether you ever watch Moomba on TV or been down there, you know. So yeah. basically, it was it, it's pretty much like those guys who use water skis, but it was all on our bare feet. So we used to go off a jump ramp on our feet, tricks, you know, spinning around the water, flips and upside down, and um, the slalom event, which was basically where I excelled at the most was um, you'd have to cross the wake of the back of the boat as many times you could in two 15-second passes going back and forward. So that was basically a speed thing on how many times you could cross the wake, like going through a slalom yeah, course. Yeah, right. Yeah. A few injuries? I was pretty good. It was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, kept myself in pretty good you know, pretty good shape the whole time. I sort of knew from a young age that you'd have to, have to look after your body. So a few niggles here and there, but you know, never anything major like knees or shoulders or anything that really put me out sort of 
long term, you know, maybe a month now and then, you yeah. know what I mean, a little tweak or... Yeah, but, right. yeah, I was pretty lucky with the injury. Yeah. So I guess now we're kind of up to... You made that first team at 14. Yep. And then staff would have had to get serious at 16, 17, wouldn't it? Yeah. When so, school's getting serious at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah. So still at school. So... Um, 15, the World Championships are actually in Canberra in 1985, so less than 12 months later, the Worlds were in um, in Canberra, and it was only the fourth World Championship, so it was re- relatively new sport, um, 78 was the first Worlds, so I've got my heart set, and I've been, I was on the Aussie team for this Australasian event, and um, keen as mustard to go, I'm going to get on the World team now, I'm going to the, I want to go to the World, so... Um, trained real hard over the winter time. Had a had a really good coach from Ballarat. His name was John Stecklenberg. Tough nut. Um, Dutch heritage. Family's from um, Holland, but they based in Ballarat. John was a world champ as well. Did you go over there to train, or did he come up here? A uh, bit of both. So I went to. So he lived in Ballarat. So I did a bit of training in um, Ballarat. But summertime, he'd come up to a chuk. You know what I mean? During the winter over there. Ballarat. Yeah. In the winter time, I remember going out Lake Learmonth in the July school holidays. Just in a long, long arm, short leg, barefoot suit, learning to barefoot backwards, like yeah, tough, yeah. hard work. Like he was, he knew he knew all about how what work it took to become an elite athlete, and I guess he saw something in me and dedicated a lot of time to me. He was a pretty special guy, and if it wasn't if it wasn't Ballarat, we'd zip down to Lake Hazelwood, the hot lake, at, um, down in in Maui. You know what I mean? Ski oh, okay, down there yeah, in the middle of winter, but yeah. Um, so. Training went pretty well that winter and coming into the spring and I can't remember when the selection trials were for the Aussie team because it was January, the Worlds were on in Gen 85, I'll, I'll take a guess at maybe mid-November, a couple of months before, went to the World Team Trials in Kahuna on the Gunny Creek, yep. the Gunny Creek, a few thousand people turned up over there and Big event. checked it out, um, so off I went in the tournament. Um, there was sort of one guy um, on the Aussie team, kid from New South Wales. I'm thinking he's probably. I wasn't going to compete against the elite guys at that point, the, the open men guys. Um, but I knew there was another junior boy um, from up there. I'm like, oh, I reckon I've got to. I've got to beat this guy at this event to How get on the team. How many would they pick for the team? I think back then it was eight, eight skiing members yeah. and two reserves. Yeah. Um, and there's girls obviously involved in that. So I actually, I bet I beat Glenn. His name was I beat Glenn at the tournament, and just thought I had my hands rubbing together, going, "I think I'm on here," and um, didn't make the team. And I'm like, "God, I've come about," you know. I mean, I've beat him and even beat a couple of the other elite guys, and gone, "God, I haven't made the team." So that sort of threw a spanner in the works a little bit. I wasn't really explained to at the time um, why I didn't make it. So the next few days, I said to mum and dad. Oh, that's it. I'm just like, you know, if I can do that well in a comp and not make it, you know what I mean? And then I'm like, woke up one day, I'm not throwing the towel in. Went in and saw mum and dad, and I said to them, gave them my word and said, there'll be never another Aussie team that I try for that there is any doubt that I'll get on or off. I'll be deep into that team and I'm going to be on it. And off I went. So, well, I guess first, why didn't you get picked that first time? So, you've already made the first team. It's all going to go, you're going up and yep. up and up, and then it was that bam, you're back down. Yeah. So, to cut a long story short, um, at a world championships, but I didn't know then the team thing, the team, there was a team competition as well as an individual. Yeah. So the big thing back then was the team, that you know, the team aspect of it. Australia had won the Worlds in 78, 80, and 82, all three Worlds against the Americans. 
Um, and the way it works is you basically take the top three scores, you know, your top three jump scores from any of your athletes, top three trick scores and top three slalom scores that went into a, a combined event. So I was pretty good at all three events, which have put me good in the overall, but Glenn was a better jumper. So yeah, I, he got the points for the jump, which would help the team. Yeah, they were looking at me as like, Brett's a great young fella, but it's probably not going to contribute to team scoring. Yeah. Even though he could beat, he might beat half the Aussie team and half the American team as an individual, the goal was is to hang on to that world title. But that wasn't explained to me until a few years, you know, when I started to look at the next team and yeah. I go, what's different this time? And then someone explained, I'm like, God, I wish someone told me that last time. You know, I might have worked on an individual event or, but anyway, in hindsight, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, not making yeah. that team. Yeah, because you would have. Yeah, imagine if you made it and then you're a bit complacent and you might make the next four and then yep. oh, I've achieved everything, I'm done. So maybe you let the listeners know what happened next. So you had that statement to your parents? Had had that statement to my parents. And um, yeah, just obviously kept competing at, you know, Australian level. Met a guy called Mike Seipel, who was, um, he actually won that Worlds in the individual title. He was the first American to win. Brett Wing and Aussie won the first three World Championships in the overall division and Mike was the first American um, to win in um, to win that event in Canberra um, and the Aussies went on to win that Worlds actually in, eight, in 85 so that was good they won four in a row um, met Mike and he had a ski school in the US and um, he did a bit of a ski you know a few bit of traveling around Australia that sort of Jen and Feb after the Worlds and ended up coming to Echuca and I think we hosted him if I remember he might have stayed with us it was done through the Barefoot Association and come and stay with us did a little training camp and I skied and learned heaps and I said to mum and dad we've got to go and ski with this guy and I need to go and ski with him for a few months so off I went off to the US with mum in um, um, I reckon it was about mid-year into second term mum and I went on our own about year 10 year 11 uh, how old was, are you now I reckon it was year 10 47 reckon I was in year 10 yeah 15 15 years old at the time yeah pretty much went big trip big trip 15 year old yeah 15 yep um Went over with mum. Would have taken about three days to get there, wouldn't yep. it? Yeah. <laughs> Air travel. I remember a couple of gnarly flights with Pan Am. Yeah. A couple of storms over Tornado Alley there, I remember, <laughs> the first time. Mum was freaking out. But anyway, pretty much touched down in the US. Was supposed to be there a month. Then Mike started talking. I skied with some great guys there. Started talking, you know, do you want, you know, do you want to stay longer and help around and we'll subsidise, you know, you help around the ski school and do wash a few boats and do a bit of that and, you know, we'll cut the, cut the coaching in half. And I'm like, I've got to go back to school, do, do, do. Talked mum into staying. Talked mum into stay that I'm staying. She had to go she home. Go home. So yeah. pretty much, mum left a 15 year old son in the US. What about school? Mum got in touch with the school before we left, and they're like, "Well, he's done half a year ten. If he wants to come back next year and do the next half, that's fine." And at that point, I'd already made up. I'm going to the worlds in the second half of next year so anyway. Kind of had a year leave. Had a year okay. leave. Um, stayed in the US basically for another couple of months. Come home to mum and dad. Said I'll go to school next year, but I'm going to I'm going to open up a ski school. So at sixteen, at sixteen. Um, so at the, the goal was then still the worlds were going to be in Germany in '86, and um, you know a year after I'd been to the US. Um, and in saying that, January, my birthday's in Jan. I had people booked in to ski with me at, at Brett Zand Ski School like the day after I got my license yeah. you know I was 16 I'm like that's what I'm going to do for a living so I did that for a couple of years before I finished school on weekends and during the holidays 
Um, we'll touch on business later, yeah. I guess. So you kind of pretty much went over and stayed, Mike, wasn't it? Over yeah, Mike, yeah. So you kind of looked at that and thought, I can like, I can do this. I've got a river in my backyard yeah. here. Like, this is, yeah. people need to learn to ski and I can kind of, yeah, we'll get to business. Yeah. But um, there's so many things I want to touch on. Like, for starters, the maturity at 15, 16 to do that. Yeah. But what about, like, your friendships and stuff? Like, it wasn't like there was any Skype or just no. jump on Facebook Messenger and send them a few messages. Like, really, you just would have had to cut everyone, even yeah. most of your family off, yeah. for 12 months to pursue this yeah. Yeah, uh, so, goal, I guess. Yeah, you're right with the friends thing. Like, I, to be honest, I don't have tons of friends from my school years because every time... You did ditch them when you were in year 10. Yeah, I was ditched them when I was in year 10, pretty much. <laughs> and then when something was on at school, you know what I mean? I played a bit of footy, you know, with the boys at school, you know, schoolboys footy and that sort of stuff. But if there was swimming on or running on something, I'd be like, Dad, I'm taking the day off. We're going skiing. Dad owned his own business. We'd just go training, you know, so... Yeah. Um, but funny you say that, I ran into a friend of mine from school... His dad passed away about three or four years ago, and I went over to his house. Gary Maluso, his name was, um, young Italian kid. His mum lives up in Dobinson Street, and his brother Dominic's a good triathlete here in town. So I went over there. But we went to the wake, went over to their house, and Gaz was there and chatted. He goes, we're back in a minute. He comes in from his bedroom with a shoebox and um, opens the shoebox up and pulls out three postcards from... Uh, Wisconsin from the USA <laughs> from 1985. Yeah, I'm like, right. that's how I used to communicate yeah. with the mates. I just sent a postcard. Oh, yeah, I'm staying here. Mum's going home. Party time and all that sort of stuff. So he gave them to me. They're actually sitting um, yeah, they're sitting on my desk at home um, in Moama there, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that's how we communicated back then. Like, there was no other way. There's no email. Yeah. There's nothing. T- yeah. Mum got on the plane, said, tell everyone. I said, oh, I'll see him in a couple of months. You must have met it like, did you almost replace that circle of friends in Australia with close people over in the States though? Yeah. Like you would have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Still got friends there today and a new group of friends. And um, funnily enough, some of the guys that were training at that school who weren't at, basically not at my level yet, they were a few years older. Three or four years later, I turn up to Worlds and he's, you know, Lane Bow was a mate of mine. Yeah. Who was at that ski school. He was from Wisconsin, turned up taught him to barefoot backwards. He actually said I coached him one day in the boat and he turns up and he's on the US barefoot team. So Yeah, right. Yeah. So what about your barefoot career after that? So you went over there, trained, obviously would have made you awesome. You've um, come back and started up the ski school, which is we'll get into business later on. But, yeah. yeah, how did that help you develop as an athlete? Yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot from the US. The US were probably a little more advanced than the, than the Aussie guys, you know what I mean? The Aussie guys sort of pioneered the sport, started out, but the US guys were starting to do stuff that the Aussie guys weren't doing and the US dominated for a long time from just after that period for, you know, 10 or 15 years. So I learned a lot from those guys. Came home, um, obviously went back to school, sort of started the ski school. The Worlds were in Germany in sort of the middle of the year in, um, I reckon it was July or August. Um, had to go to Perth for the Australian titles and the final team selection for the Aussie team. Won the junior boys title in Perth and coincidentally made the Aussie team, I wouldn't say easily, but I I didn't think there was much doubt at that point in time. I'd done all the work. And, um, yeah, the career, you know, started off. My first Worlds were in 86 in Germany and um, I competed at nine World Championships over sort of, you know, 16, 18 years. Eight as an Aussie team member. 
Um, I retired kind of in 2004 and then had one more Worlds in uh, 2000 and then had one more Worlds in 04 and I just entered as an individual. Could have made the Aussie team, but it was like a one-year comeback and I'm like, don't really want to knock all these young kids out of the team and sort of, you know, I mean, I said I only skied in one or two events. I didn't ski in the overall competition, just sort of qualified and... But yeah, so I went to nine worlds. Did you ever not make a team again that you tried out for after nah. that? Yeah, okay. Nah, never not made a team. I, I was, yeah, stuck by that statement. Stuck that by that statement with mum and dad, and um, I think it was a good thing to say then. Like it was sort of probably at the time I didn't know what I was saying. You know, I was just might have even been sent and said in like a rash sort of way, like da da da. But to be honest, I reckon it made me accountable. Mm. You know what I mean? I sort of like. I don't think I'd ever let mum and dad down if I decided to retire or quit or whatever. You know, obviously they might have been disappointed a little bit, but I wouldn't say that would, would hold it against me. But I reckon it just made me like, right, I said that. There's going to be never any doubt that I make another Aussie team if I try out. And, um, yeah, sort of eight worlds later in 2000 and, yeah. Where do you think that determination come from? Like, were your parents pretty determined and hard workers and stuff, or is it... Yeah, ingrained. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hard one, I suppose. Whether it's ingrained or not, or it's instilled in you. Like when you're young, I guess you know. I, I, I don't think mum and dad ever pushed me. You know what I mean? They weren't that sort of. You know, the coaching parents. Like you know, you got to do it. I remember times where I said to dad, you know, things weren't going well and scan. I'm not even going out training stuff it he goes oh good I'll go do something else then yeah do you know what I mean he'd yeah. never say you got to do it and there's so much in that I was the yeah. same with running my parents never yeah pushed me or yeah. made me train or anything yep so yeah. I guess it made me be accountable for myself you know what I mean and sort of like oh they don't really give it they don't really care you know to give a shit or whatever ah stuff it I'll do the opposite of what they, they yeah. said or something I don't know I don't know what the reason is but yeah mum dad, dad was a dad was a pretty good you know pretty handy footballer was, I know he played in you know I think couple of Chukarese premierships in the Chuka League. He had bad knee injuries um, and had quit at a pretty young age, but Chukarese Footy Club went through a real real era, I think, back in the late 50s, you know, early 60s. Dad was quite young. Um, he worked really hard, you know, in the, pe- in the petrol business back then. I was actually just talking to someone this morning how I used to go out on the, on the trucks with Dad and they used to roll those old 40 full of oil or petrol, the old 44s off the back of a truck onto a tyre on the ground and wheel it into the, you know what I mean, into the farm shed. And So I think Dad, Dad was pretty tough, Heavy tough, determined sort of bloke. And I remember my pop band, his father being the same, shuffling around the old servo there with arthritis in his gumboots and when he was, you know, 60, 60 or 70 years old. Staying at my pops, it probably come from a pop. Maybe staying at my pops' house over in Packenham Street, opposite the two hundred eight Oval. Actually, I'd stay at his house. And one of the things I used to do back then, there wasn't many phones, so someone would ring from Denny that was coming down in a truck from the middle of New South Wales. Two in the morning. Hey Cliff, got to get some petrol in Moama in about an hour. Pop would chuck his dressing gown on, shuffle over to the servo in the middle of winter time, fill him up with diesel. Could take an hour. Yeah. You know, five, six hundred litres of diesel, back you'd go. So maybe it come from a pop. Yeah. But tough as nails, you know what I mean? I just, yeah, really hard working. Mum was quite a good sports person, good swimmer. I think, if I get this story right, she might have played, she played A-grade basketball in Echuga. She may have actually played on a men's A-grade basketball team in Echuga. Might have been the first woman to do it. Yeah. Um, she was a pretty good athlete. She was, she was the youngest of 11, so I'm guessing... She might have had to fight. Bit of tough love growing up, yeah. Yes, youngest of eleven kids, so and everything. Yeah, maybe had to had to work hard. So yeah, maybe it kind of it came from them for sure. I read somewhere that um, your mum watched you when you tried to ride a bike without training wheels. Yeah, that um, was probably the first 
first instance that she experienced that um, your sense of determination, you just kept falling off and scraping your knee and you're out there for like an hour until you could ride it without training wheels. Yeah, I think I was about three. It was about the time I learnt to, you know, this is all, you know, you get these stories from your folks, I guess. Yeah. I can't remember, but yeah, just, yeah, in the house in uh, in Premier Street, no training wheels and I've actually got a scar in the back of my head and my, my daughter, Sonny, was always asking, Daddy's got a rock in the back of his head from when he flipped his bike when he was three, when he was learning. She sort of <laughs> brags about it. I don't know whether there's a rock in there, but I've definitely got a nick on the back of my head from it. So, yeah, the things you do when you're young, mate. Yeah, you're well, invincible, don't you? You've been just ingrained, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, oh, that's good. So how many world championships did you win in the end? So I won three individual world slalom titles. I actually never, ever won the overall title, the combined of three events. The best I ever did in the overall was back in 1990, which was probably my, I'd say it'd be my breakout year. Um, so I won, I come third overall at that Worlds in 90, came third in tricks and first in slalom. So I come home with basically two two bronze medals and a gold medal. Um yeah, so that was probably – I actually won a medal at the first Worlds I was in, 86. So I medaled at every Worlds as an individual except one. Um, but, yeah, the three, yeah, the three World Slam titles were great. And the, the thing that I, I guess I look back on and pretty proud of, that the, the Americans actually dominated um, the slalom event. If I – at the time, I was the only one ever to win a slalom gold in 1990 um, that wasn't American and – I don't know whether I'm speaking out of school, but I possibly could be the only non-American to win um, Aussie gold at Elite Slam. I think I'm, I know I'm the only Aussie. Yeah. I just can't recall. I think everyone else has been. The Americans still kind of dominate that event. So it was kind of cool. There was a guy that I looked up to called Ron Scarpa. I think he'd won – he might have won three or four in a row when I actually won in 1990. So it was kind of – you know I mean? It was like yeah. – you know, I remember all the Aussie, the, the people who'd been in the sport for a while. I remember that Worlds in Jacksonville, Florida, was they would sort of tap me on the back going, finally, yeah. you know, we've got an Aussie slalomer. Maybe Brett, Brett Wing might have won one. Maybe an Aussie Brett Wing won. I can't remember. He might have clean swept one Worlds, but it was an event they dominated anyway, so. Someone might write in and will say, oh, I'd won one of those ones. You know, I think, yeah, now happens. when I think back now, Brett Wing, an Aussie guy who pioneered the sport, he might have clean swept the Worlds and won every event in the overall, maybe in 1980. But um, otherwise, I don't. Another Brett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, travel. You must have gone to some amazing, like that many world championships. So yeah. I'm guessing they're probably held at a different spot every time. Where were some of the yeah. places you've been? So, um, Cal, I think I can remember all the cities: Calheim, West Germany, oh, in Germany in 1986, Melbourne on the Yarra in '88, Jacksonville, Florida in 1990. Um, London, 92, Sydney, Liverpool. There's a George's River in Liverpool in 94. Probably the most funnest worlds I've ever been to. Um, 1996 worlds in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Small country town in the Midwest, mate. 10,000 people yeah. watching, out of control. Just um, a party. Unreal, so much fun. Back to Sydney in 98. Um, and back to Fergus Falls, actually, in 2000. And then... Had a couple of years off, and then Yarrawonga in um, 2004, which I, that's where I won my last. So I'd only had two. Didn't really officially retire, but sort of kind of had enough, I suppose, in 2000. And then the, someone goes, the world's are in my whaler at the Twin Lakes. There's two man-made lakes in Yarra, and I'm like, I never want to – both my gold medals are in the US. Yeah. Jacksonville, Florida, Fergus Falls, Minnesota. 
didn't really think I guess in the back of my mind I thought geez it'd be good but I thought I've been out of sport for you know I was basically out of sport four years I thought ah oh, be kind of nice to have a crack at it anyway I'll just do it um yeah and yeah so Mel Whaler in 04 and that was the last one and uh hung up the feet after that I'm interested to know because I'm going to get to a day in my running career one day but how did you know it was time to to give it up um when it's been such a massive part of your yeah, life for so I, long I don't know I just sort of I don't know whether I fell out of love with it or um yeah it's hard it's just really it's really hard to say you know what I mean I knew after 04 that I was done you know what I mean that one where I made the comeback but two it was just hard to say I didn't really say that I was retiring sort of went to the US came home the season sort of started um yeah it was just a, yeah just a real weird one you just know what I mean felt it felt it I suppose just had enough and yeah talk to me about the lifestyle so when you you're chasing summers yeah do you know why because that how it worked back Basically. when you were doing that yeah yep so locally and then you just head off to yes in America and that, do their summer and that's back basi- again. basically it. Most most summers are in the um, US summers are over there our winter, so I was kind of just, you know, had the ski school here, was basically my, funding my addiction for um competing. There wasn't tons of money in barefoot water skiing. I had a few sponsors that had, you know, helped with travel and stuff like that, but you basically couldn't live off it. Um so it was basically six or eight months here, four or five months in the US. And back then I was just competing. You know, I wasn't working. I was just basically, I'd nearly come home broke and then start again. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it probably did, I basically did that for, um, you know, until probably, probably until I nearly I retired. I, it, was, it was always this thing. People, people have always asked me and it was kind of weird. I just sort of felt like people expected me to do something else. So what are you going to do when you finish, you know, skiing and coaching? And I'm like, I'd say, oh, I don't know, I'll, I'll do something. I didn't know it. So I nearly felt guilty that I was actually going to maybe do this coaching and stuff, you know, for the rest of my life. So it was, yeah, it was really, really strange. But it must have been strange as well. Like, you would have had mates, people your age who were getting mortgages, getting yeah. having kids, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Working the nine to five, grinding away, and here you are getting to go over to America for, for six months, ski over there, come home. Like, you wouldn't have seen a winter for a few years there and yeah. just do what you love doing. But, you know, and as you said, you probably would have been broke a few times, you know, save yeah. all the money over your summer here to yeah. fund the next six months. But that would have been – it takes a lot of guts to move away from society's norms, yeah. I guess. Do you want yeah. to maybe elaborate on that? Yeah, it, it's definitely different, you know what I mean? I'd come home, people knew, you know, who I was, and I had mates and that in town, but um, – probably didn't have like super super close tight knit friends you know what I mean so that was that was definitely weird and you're right with you know people you know getting mortgages and stuff I meet some people now from school now and then and they're like oh my son's doing this how old's your son oh 27 yeah you know what I mean like it's just like yeah I'm only just sta- me, yeah. we're just starting we're, you know we're not long just started a family you know what I mean so it's just like it is it is weird that people doing all that stuff like I wouldn't change for the world you know like I wasn't ready you know what I mean to settle down and stay in a Chukamoama all the time at that point in time and you know what I mean I was just you know I was transient I suppose it was always here or the US I did stay home for a couple of winters and play footy I knew that my body body and mind needed a rest I'd, you know it's yeah, just I just kind of I guess I learnt that growing up through all the you know the processes we went through with you know at elite level training and stuff that I kind of knew that I could see that burnout thing happening to people. A lot of people come and come and gone in the sport while I was in it, but coming after me and were gone before I was, 
you know what I mean, retired and stuff. So I kind of knew that now and then there was a footy season here or there at a Duke. I went to Cairns one year for six months and played footy up there. I think that was 93 and just sort of, yeah, tried to tried to mix it up a little bit, but basically it was just all about scanning. Because there would have been so many challenges around um, even maintaining your relationships. Like, yep. yeah. Hi, I'm Brett Sands, nice to meet you. Girlfriend on the go, and then six yeah. months later you're off again, and it's yeah, yeah, it would have been that, that happened. Yeah, that happened a lot for sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. There was, I guess I'd say I'm yeah, I'd say I'm a pretty emotional sort of fella. Might show it all the time, but yeah, there was a few tears at airports with girlfriends I'd dated for two months. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just it was just weird. It was it was always you were saying always saying goodbye. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was either there or here. It happens happens a lot on the outside looking in. Always everyone's like, you got the best life. You do this and you do that. There's probably a lot of stuff I missed out on, and I'm the sort of guy I never have any regrets. But at times it was like, you know what I mean. You'd be packing up your suit, living out of a suitcase. Yeah, basically living out of a suitcase, trying to live as cheap as you can in the US. You know, paying my mates for gas over there. They call it gas. You know, like giving them 10 bucks to ski, you know, a set. And, you know, it was just like you were living as glamorous as it looked. You were living, you know, you're living day by day sometimes, you know, it was, yeah. yeah. I spoke about that with people on this podcast before. They only see the, they choose what they see. Like it's the same with running. You see me win a running race or whatever, but yeah. you, well, you see the 5am yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff out yeah. here in the driveway. It's zero you know? degrees and it's <laughs> foggy and, you know, <laughs> exactly we can't run right. on this track this morning because it's foggy. We're yeah. going to, you know. It's been wet or run. Yeah. yeah. But that must be. I guess I want to know how did you manage that because it feels like you must have had some people close to you because otherwise you've got a lot of stuff in your head Yeah. that, you know, when you're only half in one spot and half yeah. in another spot, like who are you talking to and kind oh. of managing that mental state with? Oh, probably. Oh, yeah, don't know. I had, had a good mate um, in Echuca here. I sort of met at school when we were 15 or 16. Um, used to drive the boat for me and stuff like that. He was probably someone I spoke to a lot. Mum, mum and dad were awesome, you know what I mean? Mm. And I guess I just spoke to, um, like, because at that point I was, like, had the ski school and stuff, so I guess I feel like I had all these, um, they weren't close friends, but I just, like, I've taught four or five generations of families to ski, you know what I mean, or barefoot over the years, you know? Like, I was a 16-year-old kid, you know, coaching a bloke who was 50, you know? He had kids and he had kids then, and then someone came to me about five years ago and go, you know, this is, like, the fifth generation of this family you've taught to ski? And I'm like, nah, I'm like, so, yeah, probably didn't have that, um, like, a lot of support back then. Um, but, you know, I just got through it, I suppose. There was, there was definitely down times, you know what I mean? It was just, like, times where you'd, I definitely felt lonely and, um, you know, not felt like going out too much or, you know, when I was home and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was weird. I didn't, back then, when I was training, I wasn't, I wasn't a big drinker, but I'd I would not drink for eight or nine months training for a Worlds and then go out with the boys for, you know, Friday and Saturday night every night for a month and then go, no, nah, that's no good for me. I'd stop and start again, you know what I mean? So It's that, um, I think I'm pretty similar. It's kind of that addictive personality. So if you're not skiing, you're kind of, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, do you... something else. And I guess that's probably a perfect lead into the ski school. So you would have taken that on and grown that the same as you kind of grew your, yeah. you know, your, um, your elite barefoot kind of career did you see it that way yeah yeah it's sort of they sort of worked hand in hand I guess you know like and the beauty of I guess looking back now the beauty of um not only that it was something that I loved to do so I was really lucky like that it sort of never never ever felt like really you know it feels like work but just not like it. I was I'm happy to turn up every day even today um but you know times yeah just sort of they sort of went hand in hand and the good thing is is I you know competitions are obviously on weekends so you know I could just 
work the structure out where I'll, you know, fly out on the, you know, um, work on Monday to Thursday at the ski school, take, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, fly back Monday, start again. You know what I mean? So I guess I had the flexibility to be able to, you know, excel my skiing or, you know, before the Worlds, let's say in 1994 in Sydney, like I basically went to Sydney for a couple of months, you know what I mean? Like sort of can't ski school, shut down, I'm going to train for the Worlds, you know what I mean? So they did, I was lucky that they did work hand in hand and definitely fortunate that I did that. Where if I had a nine to five job, I just don't think I could have done it. Yeah, you would have been getting fired pretty quick, I reckon. I would have been, I would have had, I would have had 100 jobs, mate. Um, Talk me through that first year at the ski school. So, what, you're 15. Yeah. Dad got a boat. Yeah, got, dad, dad had a boat. Yeah, we had a... And I he think got the servo, so he got, got the, the servo. Uh, you got the fuel. Yeah, no, I reckon I was paying for fuel. <laughs> I don't reckon I paid for it when I was training, but um, I reckon when the ski school started, we were paying for fuel. Dad will probably listen to this podcast and go, <laughs> my ass, he did. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Nah, um, nah, so, yeah, it just basically started. And at that point, it was just basically um, people within our community of barefooting, like competition skiers. So I had kids coming from South Australia on the South Australian team and this and that and just, you know, it sort of started when, out small. When you were 15, yeah, you I was had 16, people. So 16, I got my boat licence when I was 16. So basically I had people sort of booked in that January before I even had my licence. I'm like, I'm starting ski school, off we go. And just the old boat we had, I think it was a Ramsey Rebel then, like a 1976 old cracker and off we went, mate. You know, just sort of just build it up and got bigger and bigger and, and I guess um, I was going to touch on it before, but I thought this question had come up. It probably wasn't till about that question people kept asking me, Sansie, what are you going to do when you retire from skiing and coaching? And I'm like, shit, people expect me to do something else. Oh, I don't know, mate, I'll work it out when the time comes. So it was really weird, this school. I just sort of, to be honest, probably didn't, I owned a boat and had a car, but probably didn't sell it or market it probably as well as I should have or maybe I didn't want to, thinking I can't put all this money into it and, you know, you know, market it and then, like, I'm going to go and get a job, you know, at a servo. Mm. And I think around about that 98, 2000, I think I just went, why can't I do this forever? You know, like, why can't this be my job? And I think just one day I woke up, said that to myself, and then since about when I retired, I guess, 2000, I think it just escalated into, a, like, a business, you know, it's a business now, you know what I mean? We've got people that work for us and... You know what I mean? So it was it was kind of weird how that kind of happened. It could have been bigger a lot earlier, and if it did, maybe I wasn't successful at skiing. Maybe I held back because I wanted to keep competing yeah. and knew the potential and had that guilt thing there because people kept asking, what are you going to do? I'm like, shit, I better start thinking about what I'm going to do, but in the end I didn't do anything else. And it would have been good to put the, you know, the career down and then put all that energy that you used to put yeah. into training into, okay, this is ski school, Brett Sands, yeah. water sports, kind of time now to, to take that on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, like I said, you know, it was sort of barefooters at the start. And um, I sort of saw the writing on the wall pretty early that, you know, like there's probably like a sort of tight knit, small community of barefooters. People wanted to learn to barefoot. The average blow Joe down the street wanted to learn to barefoot as a bit of fun. But I thought this is going to be a limited market here. You know what I mean? Like it's not probably going to sustain if I just make it a barefoot, just only barefoot school. So maybe after three or four years, I started to get into wakeboarding and coaching and I'd go to the US and I'd go to a wakeboard school like guys that were elite level then and just sort of learn the ins and outs and basically tried to master the craft overall and if I didn't do that I probably, I'd say I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today you know what yeah. I mean like I think I saw the writing on the wall early and I don't know don't ask me why I was a young kid not really much business experience but just sort of I saw that 
early and just sort of went, God, I'm going to, you know, for this to sustain, I've got to start to teach people actually to get up on, a, you know, on two skis, one ski. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. it's a massive, and all of a sudden you open that big box of possibilities that it's yeah. not just barefoot and a yeah. wee guy's coming to train with you, it's the six-year-old kid who wants to learn a wakeboard or the... Yeah, people, you know, the business kind of probably not, probably not, probably not unlike a gym. Yeah, you know, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, you'd walk into a gym and everyone's pushing weights. Yeah, now you see them running around a car park. Yeah, in a chuker at FitMob. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just you know, like that industry's grown as well. Mm. And I just guess within my industry, I guess I call my business an industry. I had to, it had to evolve with it. You know what I mean? And social media and mm. you know everything was faxed then. Used to send out you know thousand letters in the mail, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Come well, to the ski school. I guess it says that, uh, that recognising the opportunity, and I know you've written about it before, which is, um, yeah, you've just recognised, like it's pretty entrepreneurial really, that you've seen the opportunity there and think, no, nah, I don't want to go get work at the server, I'll do yeah. a nine to five and I can make this make this happen. Yeah. But it mustn't, like, this all sounds good, but it couldn't have been just smooth sailing the whole time and it's just, yeah. oh, I'm just going to finish finish competing, I'll learn to wakeboard, I'll yeah. set all this up. Like, tell me about some of the downs on the journey. Um. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's probably, there's probably never been any sort of downs in business, in the business sense, you know what I mean? It's, it's all been pretty good, but just things like people don't see, you know what I mean? Boat breaks down, you're up till two in the morning fixing this, fixing that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I basically told mum and dad when I was, you know, started making money that, um, you know, they didn't need to support me. Like, I was still living at home and basically putting fuel in the boat, you know, living up, you know, living upstairs at mum and dad's, buying my own food, and you know what I mean. There was sort of, which most, you know, you know, people were still at school, or you know, I guess I'm not unique in that way. But yeah, times it was, um, you know, what I mean, it was definitely, you know, a challenge. You know what I mean? You you buying boats and selling boats, and boats boats break down, and you know what I mean. There's all that. If I could just get in the boat every day, the boats in the water waiting for me to step in the boat and step out at the end of the day. You know, what I mean, I'd be doing this lobby. Hundred, yeah. Teaching, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all the other stuff. You know, what I mean, it's probably like school teaching. God, love oh. being in class, sit there with the kids for an hour, teaching something, seem evolve. Oh, now I've got to do three hours of paperwork and yeah, do reports, yeah. and you know, my business is probably sort of no different. I'm hearing you, yeah, um, yeah. I guess. And now, like, when did the shop come on? Like, now you sell merchandise and all that stuff out there as well. Yeah, so we basically had a, always had a small shop at Mum and Dad's house. They had a little wood room when we were younger. You know, for the fire in the house and. Sort of back in 85, 86, I basically said, I'm ransacking that woodshed, all the wood's going outside, and Dad had a few tools, and that was tiny, mate, you know what I mean? Like, it was it was small. It's season and opportunity again. Like yep. It's, yep. Yeah, cleared it out, had a, had a mate in Melbourne I skied with, his dad was a carpet layer, he brought up some old carpet that he pulled out somewhere, we put in a bit of racking, so it started out kind of really small, and at that point we are only selling barefoot gear. Um, but that, that shop was there um, until um, the little shop, and it really wasn't a shop, mate. You know, we sold bugger all gear, really, you know what I mean? Hardly paid for itself. But in 2000, and I think it was 2005, um, yeah, bought the 40-foot Atco hut, banged it down on the river there, like by the houseboat and stuff, and, um, yeah, called a few called a few sponsors and, you know, guys who supported me in the industry and went, can I, you know... Time to repay the favour here too. Yeah, Can I buy buy gear off you guys and blah 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 blah? And you know, all of a sudden, you know, ten or twelve years later, we're like probably one of the leading retails. You know, even though it's a, we've got basically two forty foot a container and a forty foot at co building, we're sort of one of the biggest retailers in Australia in regards to pure 
hardware, ski, you know, ski gear, you know, like gear. You know, a lot of shops sell clothing and surf stuff, but when it comes to, you know, the actual water ski industry, you know, it's sort of, so it's just, yeah, got Bo, you know, young bloke about your age, been with me since he was 17, pretty much, he pretty much runs the whole show now, mate, to be honest, so he's in there running the shop and, yeah, it's good, it's a great service to have for, you know, people on the river, people break down, broke a rope, we want to get them back on the water, you know what I mean, we're obviously doing it to make a living so we can live, you know, um, our lives, but... You know, it's you just you know, you know, we're excited when someone comes in and broken a rope and like we can get them back on the water. They don't even have to drive into town anymore. You know, so yeah. the shop's been really, yeah, it's been awesome, yeah. really good. How I don't know if you can answer this, but how many people do you put through a summer? Like, do you know off the top, like oh, how many lessons do you do? Yeah, there'd be I reckon there'd be over a thousand people. I reckon maybe fifteen hundred in the summer. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's a lot of people. Like, and I know you're busy. Like you go missing for about three months there. Like yeah. I don't run with you for eight, or unless it's at five thirty in the yeah, morning yeah. in the middle of summer school holidays. It's um, pretty yeah. hard to catch a run with you because you're pretty flat chat. Yeah, it's seven flat days it. a week. Yep. Yeah. So we sort of start at the end of September, and it's sort of first months kind of just get working our way back into getting gear in the shop, and you know depends on the weather. And Melbourne Cup comes around, which is kind of the official launch of the water ski season. Um, Probably Australia-wide, Australia-wide, I guess, but um, obviously in Victoria, it's uh, pretty big because um, of the Melbourne Cup. And um, and then sort of pretty much from there to the end of March is like five or six months of... I remember I had it one time when I was about 19 or 20 or I was young, I worked like 82 days straight or something. used to just kill myself, you know what I mean? Just like just not a day off, not a day off, just... Go. It was go, go, go. Three months. Yeah, flat out. You know, then it'd take a couple of days off, then I'd go again. Yeah. It goes back to that um, that kind of drive and that determination, you know what I mean? It's just a common thread that kind of just keeps flowing through here. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's good to kind of unpack that sometimes. Um, did you ever kind of feel like giving it up? Like, were there ever an uncomfortable thing and you thought, nah, um, like, did you ever not back yourself? No, I don't, I don't reckon. Think, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's been, you know, like I think overall, you know what I mean. It's been pretty, pretty good. I reckon skiing a couple of times, maybe you know, like sort of late, you know, mid nineties, around that point. I reckon there was, yeah, you know, like been doing this a while, but I, you know, kept mm. kept going, kept travelling, kept working. But I think business wise, it's been pretty. Only that little doubt about, you know, what am I going to do after this? That was mm. probably the only time but otherwise yeah I think I've just you know grabbed the ball with grab the horn horns on the ball with both hands and yeah pretty much you know taking taking a few risks you know what I mean like setting up the shop on the river and you know the, the amount of stock you got to buy to you know what I mean like at the start of a summer and you know I mean sometimes you go but you know I think every, like every everyone's going to have that in business probably you know what I mean like they're going to be there's going to be times where you go God, we've got stock or, God, you know, another 14-hour day. and But, no, I think I think it's been, um, yeah, it's been pretty good the whole time. How have you seen kind of the uh, the marketing around social media evolve with the business kind of head on? Yeah, good, I think. I think it's been, you know. You guys I, do it well. Yeah, I think 99% of the time it's really, really good. You know, now and then it's just something, you know what I mean, like you go, oh, this bloke shouldn't be saying that or, you know, you get negative feedback via social media when you know the the floods or the algae and people only get half the story and they're not up here and that sort of stuff but I think that's a very small part of it and we don't tend to react to sort of any negative stuff too much or at all but I think the social media things um 
yeah, it's like it's unreal. Facebook and you know people are just basically living on it. You know what I mean? Mm. We don't really advertise much anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we do a little bit. You know, I mean we do some lo- lo- local stuff here in the magazines and you know a bit of radio stuff. But basically, you know, like it's just I think everyone's just into this. You know, we're basically Facebook's our big thing. We do a little bit of Instagram. We're not into Twitter or anything like that, but. It's unreal. It's yeah. definitely oh. that's a big movement that's probably never going to stop. No, I don't think no, so. No. And it's one of those things you got to embrace as well. Like, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're on your high horse about hating social media, yeah, it's, yeah you're not going to be helping your business anytime soon. I don't think. No, I reckon. Um, you know, and yeah, some of the you know some of the stuff you see on Facebook on the you know on your personal pages, there's some you know people having rants and this and that. But you know, if I had a choice, I'd probably be able to switch that off but then you switch off your business side of it you just got to you know I mean you just mm. ignore that stuff or you just don't scroll through it or whatever yeah. you know but it's awesome you know yeah, yeah. I think Facebook's a, yeah, it's a good thing oh even the old podcast world like it's I've been blown away by just the numbers each week you kind of I can check and see how many people have listened to any of the episodes over the yeah. last week and it totals them up and where people are listening from and you're just like this is pretty simple sitting here with yeah. a few microphones on you upload it and then it goes all over the world it's um yeah yeah it's interesting I want to get onto the triathlon world now yeah so when did that come about um 2009 I reckon um lady used to shave my head in a chuka um cut my hair I reckon her daughter Gemma was in the triathlon club for a year or two and every time I went in and saw Marita get my hair cut she's like oh Sands you got in this triathlon thing this is across the road from the post office That's, yeah yeah I've seen yeah. your photo in there when I've yeah, been yeah. in there yeah so um, um, right yeah yeah I'll do it I'll do it and then I never you know I never did it I was playing a bit of touch footy and just doing a few other sports after I'd read you so know gen- generally fit yeah generally yeah. fit wasn't really a runner but you know a bit of touch footy and a bit of this and a bit of that but um, yeah no I'd never really ridden a bike you know what I mean? I brought a bike when I was about 20, rode it for, you know, six months, and I've still got it. It's in the shed. I don't think I've ridden it since. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just went down. I, I, to be honest, I don't even know how it happened. I really never – I didn't have any friends that were in it. No, no one dragged me by the short and curlies and went down there. But just, yeah, one – I think after one big um, one big day in the moment, bowling club tent at um, the Chuka Races one year, um, it was the next day. Went down there, had a look. Thought, oh, yeah, this looks all right. Turned up the next week. Thought I was just going to smash everyone, you know, like, away <laughs> you go. And, uh, yeah, much to my amazement, mate, did a, did, a, did, a, did a swim, little 20K bike ride out to the Araby Caravan Park and ran about 100 metres and cramped up and was buckled over a fence and got a few laughs by a few blokes that um, I guess I probably was quicker than him overall in the end, but just, you know, it was just like learning the craft. So that was that was sort of my intro to... So did you meet, like, Stevie Gray and all that through... Tr- OK, yeah. Did right. not... All those blokes that I hang out with now that have become really good friends, you know what I mean? And the beautiful thing about triathlon to me is, like, when I was skiing back in the day, um, you know, there was sort of no other barefooters in town. There was a few ski races and stuff um, where now the people I'm sort of, you know, competing with and enjoying the sport with live here, so I see them heaps. Like, they're my, you know, they're my, they're my best mates, like yourself, you know what I mean? It's just like yeah, it's sort of evolved, you know, and you're, you're here. And because you train together, it's just like, well, we're training and we may as well be catching up and train together and talk a bit of yeah. rubbish here and there, and it's just a good way to keep a relationship going because you're in the same spot. Yeah. Uh, very good, and they just kept, you just got the bug. and Just got the bug, yeah. Steve was probably my biggest influence, I reckon. Steve, great. Um you know, he sort of – he was off to the world champs, actually. Like, I saw it the first night I was there, and I saw him standing at the end of the pool, shaved head, shaved down, looked super fit. Worked out he was going to the world championships in Tampa, Florida for the half Ironman Worlds. He qualified earlier in the year. He sort of – I didn't. I sort of met him a couple of times in those few weeks, then he disappeared. 
and then um, got stuck into doing the Wednesday nights with the Tri Club and and I think he said oh, I'm going down to Port Arlington to it for a Gatorade race so I reckon it was um, I reckon it was in Feb 2010 do you want to come I'm like oh yeah let's do this um, so yeah sort of started you know getting a bit more serious about training Steve helped me out um, actually had a big stack on my bike probably two weeks before it Steve, Steve was involved in it another guy in a chukri Darren Carmody or just out some yeah. back road windy morning a couple of blokes connected and um, I pretty much T-boned um, Carmo he went down I went down um, fair bit of bark off um, thought oh this race is coming up luckily I kind of came good um, in the week before it went down to Port Arlington and uh, did alright you know what I mean I didn't might have finished in the top 10 in the age group or whatever didn't break any records but yeah it was pretty good and um, yeah sort of you know away we went from there um, just doing the Wednesday night things and then I think the next year I might have got a little bit more serious and um, gone to the Cairns half Ironman with Steve you know what I mean and I, I think I did uh, three or four of them up there then I had a year off then went back in 2015 and 16 but yeah you know it's been it's been a really good sport and um, I love it I love the I love how I love the competitive probably the start of it um, I'm a competitive sort of person but I think I was doing it just to you know reach out to you know another community and just sort of I don't know feel like I was um, become reattached with the Chukamoma again you know for, with all that travel and stuff you know like going away and settle back yeah, yeah it was kind of like um I've got a mate in Adelaide who's basically been a bit of a life coach for me, Marty Ailes, who's sort of, you know, helped me out with a bit of stuff probably in the last 10 or 15 years, just with, he's a really good businessman and just, you know, life. And um, he said, mate, you need to go and, I think he might have said, you need to go and do some Latin dancing or, you know, you need to go out and meet people and do stuff. Mm. And I think the Tri Club was, you know, right there and it's been really good to me and love it and I can see myself doing it for a while and there's some great people in that, you know, I met you through it, you know, I'll, yeah, I don't you know, know what I mean. Even I though you know weren't, where we met, actually, I, I think, think just running. You know, like I triathletes run, and not just all of a sudden we're running together. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it's amazing. Um, I spoke with Susanna Barry about this with the Jono's run stuff, which we'll get onto in a second. But the amount of people like, I never met Faz before. Met Faz, Clint, M. Flanagan. Yeah, like, I think that's where we probably first started. I remember you just send me a message saying, "Is this something you'd want to be involved in?" Kind yeah. of thing. I remember sending you a message saying, "I want to get in the gym. Do you know anyone?" And you yeah, like, yeah. go down Fit Mob. They walk after you like it was um, yeah. sport in general, and sport within a nice community like this is just opens up so many doors to yeah. just um, yeah develop yourself. And yeah, sometimes amazing. you think it's oh, I've got to go meet those guys. Monday nights are a bit the same. That community run, like oh can't be bothered I just wish I can put my iPod in and just go yeah. from home but you get there and it's like yeah. how good is this like yeah, just talking so away good. and getting stuff done absolutely um, so let's get on to the community living and respite you're obviously an ambassador for the opening doors project down there yeah but well first I don't know how I want to put this question maybe you strike me as the guy who that could have been the CEO of the Cancer Council or Diabetes Australia or Homeless People, Chukamoama. I'm just making up all these yeah, yeah. organisations. But I don't think it would have mattered what cause it was, but as long as it was helping... I don't think you're super passionate about people with disability when Susanna probably asked you about yeah. that. But that whole helping people in general is yeah. what you're all about. Um, was that kind of... I don't know what appealed to you about getting on board with that project. Um I got a phone call, obviously, off... Um, I'd been to... I reckon I'd been to... I'd been invited to one or two dinners. 
the community living respite yeah. dinners, but um, really sort of didn't know what it was about too much. And yeah, I was the same. I was like, I heard that organisation didn't know what. They yeah, did so I went to that and listened to um, you know a couple of great speakers, Stephen Bradbury, and you know like this is really cool. They raised a heap of money and this and that, and um, and then. Brady, you know, John O's run, Brady Johnson, I think, contacted Community Living and Respite and said, um, I'd love to, you know, help, you know, raise money for, um, you know, the Minor Street Project or whatever it was. And Susanna and I talked a little bit. We'd, we'd done a bit of donating to the dinner and stuff, and I think she might have mentioned maybe, um, you know, you're probably going to need some help, Brady, um, do, you know, doing something. And uh, they decided on the, the Run Melbourne thing, and I think Brady rang me one night and just said, Sansy, you know, we're going to try and raise some money for build this house with people with disabilities, and I'm just like, yeah, man, let's just do this thing. Sounds like a really good project to me, and you know, it kind of started. I think that was back in 2014. Mm. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, that's when it was kind of 13 or 14 of us that got together, yeah. and yeah, and I, yeah, I was the same. Like, it could have been any organisation that rang me and said, "Do you want to do this fun run and help raise money?" I would have been, yeah, yeah. As long as we're helping people and running's involved, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yep. From my end, but that's probably like that was pretty entry level for both of us. Like that was yep. nothing more than just going down. Yep. I don't, we didn't do any training together. I think we had one photo yep. at Percy Street there, and correct. We met on the. We didn't meet before the race. I remember running back after I did the race and ran with you and Brady that year, and it's kind of evolved into something bigger. Yep. And you know, last year, one hundred twenty-nine people and eighty-one thousand. Yep. But but you've been instrumental in that as well. Like you've taken that by the the horns and just ran with it do you want to maybe explain why like yeah because you didn't have to like, no, I, I haven't like i've only played a minor part in it because yeah i don't know it just um yeah it's really weird i guess i just sometimes i just do these things you know what i mean like just you know what i mean i knew it was a, once i got got involved i knew it was you know a really really good thing to help you know people with disabilities and then funnily enough my um sister julie's got a son he's he's autistic but until I was really involved with community living and respite services, I didn't even know my sister used them for him to stay and get help. You know what I mean? Like I knew you used to go somewhere and spend a day with some kids with disabilities and this and that, but I actually didn't really know that um, the services, you know, provided and that my sister even used it. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's really fun, I think. And now it's all about trying to, um, Initially, it was all about, you know, we're trying to raise money to build a house and, you know, make life better for these people with disabilities, but it's just turned into so much more than that. You know, the whole community running thing and getting people involved and it's like the park run where things started up. I don't know, it just all seems to work together. Yeah. And I'm just super passionate about, um, you know, both those causes, I guess. It's been unreal, you know what I mean? Now, this year, we've got 140-odd signed up and we raised 81 grand last year. And yeah, we'll get 200 easy this year. Yeah, 200 um, people will be fantastic. People, yeah, yeah 200, 200 grand will be good. Yeah. But to put that in perspective, you raised, yeah, $13,193 individually last year. Yeah. Like, out of that 80 grand and 130 people, it's pretty significant when one person's raised $13,000. Yeah. Um, so massive hats off to you. I always find it hard to try and try to raise two or three hundred, but your networking is probably super important with that. Like, yeah. you, this isn't just you putting on Facebook statuses saying, "Can anyone donate some money to me?" Because yeah. you didn't get thirteen grand that way. But do you want to maybe just unpack for the listeners yeah. how? Because there might be some people out there thinking about fundraising in their own towns and stuff. But how you managed to raise thirteen thousand dollars for yeah. the cause? It's definitely it's definitely that networking thing a little bit and. 
and I go back to what my mate in Adelaide said to me once as well. Marty's just like, Sansa, you're good at whatever you do. You just sink your teeth into it. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you're down and you're sad, you're good at that. You know what I mean? Like you, when you're up, you're flat out. When you're skiing, you, you know what I mean? I guess I, I just, I guess, sink your teeth into it and um, want to make it work. And um, yeah, a few of the things that I did was, you know, like, um, you know, places where I maybe go and, you know, spend some money, you know, at a cafe or a restaurant. I'd go, hey, mate, how about a voucher for Jono's Run? Yeah, here's a voucher. And I'd auction that off online. And um, I've been able to – I've met some pretty special um, people along the way. Good mate, young bloke who used to come and wash the boat for me, um, Trent Cotchin, who's the captain of the Richmond Footy Club. Um, asked him last year, hey, Koch, can you can you get me in the rooms um, with um, – couple of people and a pass after a game one year we'll auction that off yeah mate we'll do that that raised like a couple of grand do you know what I mean so Neil I guess Pankhurst wasn't it Neil Winter. Neil Pankhurst one yeah. of the yeah, local Cancelers. one of the local councillors so John Garland man yep um, yeah so there's sort of you know there's different ways you can do it you know what I mean so but that, that's the main the main way, main way I rose a bit of money just you know people that I ran into in the street and funnily enough these people are just they're as willing to help as what you are like they've basically made the job that um, I do with Community Living and Respite as an ambassador kind of made it easy, I suppose. You know, like there's hardly anyone that ever says, no, I can't do this, or if they do, they go, give us a buzz next year, you know what I mean? We're not in the position to do it or whatever, but, yeah, we've had a bit of fun, you know, raising money and seen a few bidding wars on Facebook, and it's, yeah. been, it's been a blast, oh, mate. And it's been um, just massive for the town, like the amount of people who've got involved exercising, and yeah. it, so many people in our town know about Jono's Run, it's not oh, it's no. not funny. Like, I've got people in Melbourne and Bendigo, like, uh, oh, yeah, you're, gonna, you're doing Jono's Run this year, and yeah. it's like, how do you guys even know about this? But, um, yeah. yeah, the publicity around's been pretty good. Um, I want to talk about kind of your your health kind of habits. I think it's always good to give people something to, yep. to listen to and be able to take away. So I've got here fitness, sleep and food. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe – how do you keep fit? Um, obviously, triathlon. Tri- yeah, I've, yeah, I've always been sort of, you know what I mean, fit. I guess skiing's um, – you know, I've been lucky. I've been in sport that's kept me fit. But, um, yeah, I just sometimes I just feel myself like – when I used to travel or even now, if I can ride, obviously running makes me fit and swimming makes me fit and riding the bike, but sometimes it'll be like, if I can walk there, it's going to be better for me than hmm. driving the car. So sometimes I walk from home and walk into Safeway, you know, it's like maybe a three or four K round trip, just little things like that when it comes to fitness, just all the, all the little things that can, you know, I mean, I go to gym a little bit. I wouldn't say triathlon when I'm serious training you know what I mean I guess you're doing a fair bit of it but generally I'd say you know I'm at the moment I'm sort of in a little bit of a down period with all that sort of stuff it's just I wouldn't say I'm overtraining maybe three or four hours a week just a bit of running a bit of swimming a bit of riding the bike and super important I think it's I reckon I realized when I was about 40 about when I started triathlons I'm like it is so important now to focus on your health and well-being than probably ever has been in your life you know what I mean? Not that, yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like, it, I don't know, when you're 15 or 20, it's, it's nearly natural, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you eat a bit of junk food, you probably just burn it up like that and it's not great for you, but it just happens. I think now, that, that, you know, as you get older, it's just so important to not just go, oh, I just couldn't be bothered every day. There's days where I couldn't be bothered too, but it's super important, I reckon, as you get older, just you've got to, you know, if you want a bit of longevity or a healthy life with your kids and all that sort of stuff, Super important to um, yeah look after yourself. I reckon. What about like um, 
core. Like, you've got the best veins. Getting <laughs> Benny Walker and I were talking about this the other day. Like, do you do like a million push ups a day or nah. anything? You're just a vascular man. Yeah, I don't know why. Yep, everyone. Even your legs, you make me look like I don't oh, even no. run. Like, you've got some unreal running veins in your legs. Yeah, too. I know. Yeah, a couple of people said he gave us Fred Lance Armstrong's book, and I go, yeah. no, there's a shot in there of his veins, and I reckon you'd be close. Maybe not quite, but. You know, with those, I don't, I don't know why, mate. Mum, mum's actually a little bit veiny as well. I noticed her now and then, and she was quite fit. So, no, I don't really do any. Like when I was skiing, I was doing a bit of gym work and stuff like that, but nothing. It was more of an all-rounded sort of program. Like, it definitely wasn't bodybuilding or anything. But no, I haven't been to. I go and see Finky now and then once every couple of weeks and do a class. You know, but I do no upper body work or leg, like no leg presses, no. Nothing with barbells, dumbbells, any of that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it is. You know, I mean, everyone says, "Me, Sandy, you couldn't put a, a kilo on if you tried." And I go, "I, I could, yeah, but I just look up. It's just yeah. so natural to me. It's no, it's not an effort. Yeah. How do you stay so fit? Well, I don't drink heaps. Well, it's routine as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't eat a lot of bad food. Do I sometimes? You know, have a couple of beers and have a hamburger. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not a. It's just I haven't trained myself to do that constantly. I've done yeah. the exact opposite, so it's not. A, it's a no-brainer. Okay, so that was fitness. What about food habits? Like your diet? Like is it pretty? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't say it's. You know, I wouldn't say it's strict, but we're healthy. You know, my wife Mel cooks some really good food, and it's just a good rounded diet. You know what I mean? A lot of never anything ever fried. Do you know what I mean? Like we never cook fried food at home, or you know what I mean? We don't hit KFC or any of that stuff, but just nice, good, healthy, alive food. You know, fresh greens and veggies and. You know, good meat and fish, and just yeah, make try and make really good choices and set a good example for the kids too. That'd have to change, especially when um, when kids are around. Like I know talking to Mel, she was saying that like your kids have never had soft drink. Would that be? They, they've had it a couple of times, yeah. but they never asked. They yeah. If we're out for dinner with friends, and you know, friends' kids have soft drink. You know, I mean, sometimes we we. We fold. Yeah. That it'll be like. Don't, I hope they're not listening to this podcast. It'll be half soda water and lemonade, or half water and lemonade, or whatever. Yeah. But no, they don't. I don't think our kids have ever drank. I can't remember them drinking out of a can of Coke or lemonade or like literally guzzling. But that's because they're in that environment where you're setting the role model. Like it's yeah. yeah. Like you're, you couldn't do that if you were sitting on the couch having two cans of Coke every night. No, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean. So um, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And they. They ask for water constantly. Do you know what I mean? Like, con- like, Sonny will wake up in the middle of the night, walk into the room. Dad, can I have a water for Brecky? Can you get me a water? They never ask for. We don't have sugary, sweet juice. apple juices yeah. and stuff at home and all that sort of stuff in the fridge. It's basically they get to drink water, mate. That's it. And I don't blame people because there's a trick out there that those juices and stuff are good for you and the yeah. yogurts that are for like people honestly are making a mistake thinking that yeah. that stuff's good for you. But I think and you and Mel are fantastic because you've got the knowledge. Like you yeah. she was telling Carly the other day about some of the podcasts she listens to about health and yeah. diets and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's not like it just happens. It's um yeah, you guys are doing a lot to kind of be proactive in that area. Yeah, and I, I think I learned a lot about that at a young age. Like, we used to go to um, – we were lucky enough to go to the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra, and there was uh, luckily there was a ski site there as well where the World Championships were back in um, oh, 78 and 85 or whenever it was. Um, so I think it was instilled in me in a really young age. You know what I mean? You go into the, you go into the food hall at the AIS, and I remember back then they'd have – all the veggies and everything, you'd load your plate up a little bit. You'd walk in and just be veggies. Just You'd load it up and at the end you'd grab yourself a bit of chicken or a bit of steak or whatever at the end, you know what I mean, at the end of the aisle. But your plate was already full. Mm. And I'm like that with um, Mel now. Like, what do you want to eat? Oh, more veggies. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah. give me give me a lot to the good stuff. I love it. And 
Yeah. Fruit and veggies, it's um, yeah. pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, that's it. All right, so that's food. What about sleep? Um, yeah, I'm a pretty good sleeper. Are you? Yeah, pretty good. Fancy that. I reckon anyone who's like good, good exercise is usually yeah, good sleeper. Yeah, pretty good sleeper. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a sport nut. You know, I get sucked into... <laughs> I love sport at all levels um, and almost every sport. Um, so sometimes... I can be a bit sleep deprived at sometimes during the year. I think Steve Gray said to me the other day when the golf masters was on, he goes, what, where's your, where's your, um, where's your action from last year? Like what happened last year? Oh mate, you sent me a photo. You had three iPads going, your phone and the TV. There was like the U S masters. There was NHL playoffs in the hockey, basketball. It doesn't matter what it is. You know what I mean? Tour of bike cycling race. I'm just like, had it all going and I'm giving him, he just goes, just keep texting me updates. <laughs> so that gets me sometimes if he's there, midnight, sleep on the floor at home. Um, but I've liked to live without it a little bit, probably in more recent years, I reckon. Like triathlon training can be, you know, with work, mm. early mornings and, um, you know, and then at night time I want to spend time with the kids and with Mal and stuff like that. So it does get a little bit limited. You know, a couple of times this week I went to bed at 11 o'clock and I was up at 5.30 or 6 to train, but I, I think I can live on six hours. Yeah. But normally we get eight. But, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty good sleepers and we can't wait for the kids to get older and we still get woken up now and then, you know. Stella's yeah. 10, but she's maybe once a week. Our little girl, Sunny, she's, she's a bit like me. She's, uh, she can't sit still. And... Um, She's pretty much every night. Yeah. Midnight comes in, jumps in the middle, a few yep. karate chops in the head. But you just get you get used to it, mate. <laughs> That's just a part of life, you know. Roll with it. Um, and what about your mental health? Do you meditate or do yoga or anything that like to look after brain in a way? Um, yeah, p- probably not as much as I. Um, when I retired, when I was, like I was when I was retired two thousand, so I was about thirty. Sort of hit a bit of a down patch there for a while. You know what I mean? I was just I was just struggling with. You know what we talked about. You know, like the scan thing. Am I going to do that forever? Um, did I have an identity outside of water skiing? You know what I mean. Like in my local town, or you know, I mean, I, was, I guess I was a little bit lost for a while. Um, so I got some help here in town. You know what I mean through a psychologist and learnt a few different methods about you know meditation and you know taking time out every day, sixty seconds a minute, just to breathe and think about you know that sort of stuff. But probably not doing it as much as what I did at that point in time for a couple of years but um, yeah just I don't know I just I think now it's about family and my wife you know what I mean I just you know just we just chill out and do whatever and that's where I sort of find my I find my peace now you know what yeah. I mean yeah it's yeah. been good and, and running you know exercise and stuff like that but you probably I probably could take maybe more time you know yeah. what I mean but yeah well getting out the door sometimes that you know what I mean? Like I yeah. this morning, like got the whole day off pretty much to try. Yeah, yeah. I'm waking up, I'm like, it's cold, and I'm like, I don't want to do my session now, but I'm like, okay, cut yourself a deal, do that. The afternoon run now, the 6K, and then you can do the good, yeah. the 16K tempo this afternoon, and it kind of, once you get out the door, you're fine, but it's yeah. that whole out of bed, out the door, like it's cold outside, yeah. get out there. Yeah. It just does amazing things for your brain, and you. Oh, here, here I'm coming home and like I'm hanging the washing up I'm putting fixing the solar lights out here like it's Absolutely. all of a sudden just gives you that energy and just yeah I reckon without running I don't know what kind of mental state I'd be in yeah. and that flip side as well because I think without running then did you watch that um, Insights doco about uh, it was all the elite kind of sports people and how they it was Barry Hall and Lauren Jackson and Luby Trickett and that and just how 
so tied up with identity they were with their sport yeah. that when they retired they just were off the rails and they were referring to like Grant Hackett and yeah 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 like I didn't see I didn't see that yeah Stevie Gray and I were talking about it the other day at the junction actually when we were going away drinks and um, yeah. yeah it's worth yeah, you can get it online yeah. it's worth a watch I've only watched part one but it's that whole identity about you've retired now so yeah who are you actually like? Yeah. You're not the elite barefoot skier anymore. Yeah, yeah. So Matt, are you still an important person yeah. to the community? And I, I definitely went through that without a doubt. You know what I mean? So, there was a couple of years there. I just, you know, I mean, I, I guess I was a bit lost. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, um, but you know what I mean. Sport. You know that, that. Then I made that comeback in '04 and just had a completely different insight. You know what I mean? And preparation was just completely different to what I used to be. You know what I mean? It was all a, more of a mental thing. It was just more just relax, chill, no expectations. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, it is um, it is great getting out the door. I know Mel says to me sometimes, if I haven't, you know, I've had a race and I'm having a week off or whatever, by about the third day, she goes, could you just go for a run? You're just yeah. grumpy, mate. You sit, you know, just come on, mate. Go for a run or whatever. You know what I mean? Just sometimes a little thing's bug you and it's just irrelevant and she just goes for a run because I – Exercise is unreal, yeah. like, and it's the the best thing for you, you know what I mean, at any level, you know what I mean, without yeah, a doubt. 100% I agree with you, um, which is why I'm not going to talk too much about parkrun because we're going to do a very separate uh, episode on that, yeah. launching that, but it's, you know, the benefits of you've pretty much been instrumental in setting up parkrun at Chukamoema. Yeah. This will go out after we've launched, so we're not sure if we get 300 or 600 or 100 yeah. there, we'll see how we go, but... Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about parkrun, that it's going to have massive mental and physical benefits for so many people in our community. Yeah, definitely. And um, hopefully it'll get people, um, you know, the little demographics within our community. Hopefully those people can see the positivity in it and get involved in, you know, participating. And I think it's just, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be a good thing, you know what I mean? There's going to be people who are just shuffling around the first week you know walking around park run 5k's like you said in an hour and um you know six months later are they doing it in 45 minutes and now they're having a walking race with their friends and but yeah the health the health and the well-being side of that things there's 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 not one negative about it you know what i mean it's it's going to be so good sets your whole week up a weekend up with positive oh, positivity yeah. as well like imagine you know you don't really exercise and you've gone and knocked out a 5k walk or jog and it's yeah. 8.45 on Saturday morning, you've got to be feeling good about yourself for at yeah. least a, the next two days. That's have to exactly go back to work. right, mate. What a way to start, eh? Yeah, no, it's good. Hey, I've got a question for you. I haven't asked this one um, on the podcast yet to anyone, but I reckon I'm going to make it a pretty generic question. I'm 30 at the end of the year. Yeah. And I want you to um, think about if you could go back to your 30-year-old self, yeah. what, uh, what messages would you give him? 30... What would you give him? I would say um, probably slow down, take a breath, be patient. Um, you know what I mean? Rome wasn't built in a day. I think when I was younger, you know, when you're young, you just think it's just all, you know what I mean? I don't, you know, you've got to be positive and feel like you're invincible and stuff, but I would not change one bit of my career in business or sport, but, you know, when you look back, when I, it was about that time when I'd left the sport and then got back into it. I reckon I was a different person when I came back four years later. I reckon I, in that three or four years, 30 to 34, um, I just took a few more deep breaths. I trained, I trained a little less. Just, I guess I had more balance in my life, I reckon. Yeah. I think that's super important at that age and definitely that 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 food and fitness, you know what I mean, thing, you know what I mean, whether you're into sport or not, 
you've got to, you know, as you're older you get, I reckon you just got to take more time to care about, you know, yourself, what's going in and out. I reckon that's super important. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, define success. What does success mean to Brett Sands? Oh, jeez. I thought this might come up, mate. It's hard. It's, that's a tough one, mate. Um, if you asked me that question when I was... 20 years old and a world champion, I'd say, oh, gold medal, mate. Yeah, Beating all the Yanks, you know what I mean? That would be definitely my answer. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just guess probably looking back, just, you know, what, what you what you go through in your life, you know, the ups and downs. And, you know, I sit here at 47 years old. I've got a beautiful family. Mum and dad are still alive. Got a successful business. I've got some awesome friends. To me, now that just feels really important and relevant to me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you ask me that question when I was, you know, 25 or 20 years old, you'd definitely get a dif- different answer, you yeah, know what I mean? And it changes, doesn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Jono's runs, it, I feel like, you know, that's successful and mm. Parkrun will be successful and, you know what I mean, meeting blokes like yourself and the guys at the Tri Club, you know, they are all they all accumulate to be, you know what I mean, like who you are today. But, yeah, it's, it's a good question, though. It is yeah. a good question. Yeah, my word. I think word. it depends on, you know, the view... What yeah. you're looking at. Yeah, 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 where you are. You know, I mean, you're, I'm looking at, you know, different perspective on everything, you know, than when I was younger. You know what I mean? Like, I just had one focus then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was it's just it's just different, you know. But if that focus wasn't as focused as it was. Yeah. And you're so, you know, driving so hard for that success. Yeah. It's almost a building block for. Yeah, yeah. You know, you didn't get that world championship. Is it going to be a successful business? You know, do people want to come and learn from you to yeah, start that, off with? That's you know it. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. All... I know it's all relative, and that's why I go through, you know, life just no regrets. I would yeah. not change one bit. Could, could have parts been better? Yeah. Would I have done it differently? Maybe. Maybe, but I would never wind the clock back and want to, want to see the. You know, see the different result. I'm happy, you know, with the end product. I suppose yeah. where I'm at the moment. So, um, and I guess I didn't give myself too many um, opportunities to regret. I think I made a lot of, you know, a lot of right decisions. You know what I mean? So I guess I was lucky in that fact. Where I've, you know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's brought me to now. Like God, oh, that was a, that was a really bad decision. I just sort of think I've made calculated decisions over the time, and it's um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. I think that's one of those things that. One of my mantras, I guess, is just, you know, like, just have no regrets and just, you know. So just, were they kind of like gut decisions or were they um, like pros and cons list or were you, how did you used to operate? Um, are you still operating that way today? Yeah, um, probably a few gut decisions back then, you know what I mean? Just kind of you knew, you knew it was the right decision, I suppose. But, yeah, probably, you know, as you get older, you sort of go, right, if I do this, what's going to happen if it goes sideways or, you know, the negative and positive of it? There's probably more gut decisions when, when you were younger. You know what I mean? It was, felt like I was going pretty fast when I was young. You know what I mean? Just like, just, just making 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 calls on the fly. You know what Hammer I mean? Hammer and tongs. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Beautiful. And mantra. You just kind of touched on it then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh mate. There's there's probably heaps. I suppose you know. But um, I guess you know what you reap is what you sow. I suppose you know what I mean. If you want to put in, you know, the miles and. Um, do the hard work, whether it's, you know, with a bit family, you know, competitive, um, you know, sport or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, just and have no regrets, eh? Try and make make make, make the right decisions and, um, you know, be, be kind to yourself and be kind to the people around you, I reckon. You know, you need that support group and um, that's a super important one, especially with young kids, you know, their parents are so supportive and stuff. But generally, you know, just, you know, Got to do the right things, I reckon, in life. For sure, mate. Let us know where we can follow you on the line. 
Um, we've got our website, our business site, which is www.brettsands.com.au. That's where sort of the business runs from it. Um, on Facebook, on Brett Sands Water Sports, and I've obviously got my personal page. Um, yeah. Instagram? Of, What's the Instagram handle? Uh, I think it's Brett Sands underscore water sports. Don't do much on the, the personal stuff. Um, but, yeah. And you want to give the sponsors a bit of a plug? Who uh, who supported you over the years? Oh, mate, I've had some great sponsors. Malibu Boats would probably be the biggest, you know, biggest supporter over the last 20 years. Um, originally, Williams, Williams Intensity Wetsuits over in... Um, Yarrawonga Obviously me folks You know what I mean yeah. Dad putting the gas in the boat When <laughs> I was a young kid Lucky he had a servo um, Yeah there's been some um, Yeah there's been some You know Great people Club Marina on board now And Chuka Toyota I've got a couple of You know Moment Bowling Club Obviously been really good to me Over the whole journey You know when I was younger The Used to have club grants and stuff like that. The Bolo's been really good and um, doing a bit of ambassador work like yourself with them at the moment. And mate, I could sit here for hours and yeah. thank people. You know what yeah. I mean? It's been um, yeah, it's been it's been a good journey and um, still going though. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. too. You know what I mean? You know, triathlon and that community stuff is just kind of you know like I'm 47 and you know like I just I'm actually looking forward to the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? It looks good. The kids are growing up and. Um, good times plenty of good things getting involved with that's it beautiful Sandy thanks for your time no worries Brady we'll catch you soon episode number 16 with Brett Sands. I did um, put Brett under the pump a bit. He wasn't aware that that sponsor question was coming in the last five minutes there. So um, he did really want me to make sure I also mentioned that he's super thankful to Ashwell Cycles, Holistic Endurance and FitMob for their sponsorships. I guess, Sandsy, when you got so many sponsors, it's hard to uh, list them all off the top of your head. So um, I told him I'd be able to sneak that into the outro. So uh, well done for those guys to for supporting a good bloke like Brett. Uh, thanks again for listening. As I said in the intro, spread the word if you can. That would be fantastic. And um, keep running, keep doing what you're doing. And I'll see you next week for next week's show. Cheers. Bye.
So believe the choices you made were right Don't let what ifs keep you awake at night Because I've met someone new Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.